Hello, adventurers. This episode is the first in a series that the Storyteller Squad worked on with our dear friends from The Writer's Room. We are cross-posting this first episode in its entirety in the hopes that you might fall as madly in love as we did with our crew of unfairly attractive and disastrously queer pirates. The squad and I are super grateful to Zoe for asking us to be part of this, and I hope when you're done with this episode, you'll follow the link in the show notes over to the Writer's Room feed, where you can already listen to episodes two and three, as well as their entire first season featuring Evan and Patrick's characters and the rest of the crew of La Rosa Blanca, portrayed by our lovely narrator, Zoe. And with that, let's send you on your way, adventurers. Please enjoy this. The Writer's Room and the Storyteller Squad present New Horizons, The Fate of the Thorn. The Writer's Room, a 7th Sea podcast, is endorsed by Chaosium, Inc. For more information, Visit www.chaosiuminc forward slash seventh C. Hello, friends. Come on in. I'm sure you're all very familiar with how everything works around here. Oh, I see we have some new listeners here. Well, hello, friends. It is a pleasure to meet you. My name is Zoe, and I'm the narrator of the Writer's Room. What's the Writer's Room, you ask? We are an actual play radio drama podcast, exclusive to Chaosium's 7C TTRPG. And if you're wondering what 7C is, go check out the endorsement that I stated at the very beginning. Now, before we continue... And before you get too comfortable, there are a few announcements that I have to make. The story you are about to hear, the game that we have played, contains elements of mature themes and adult language. I use music and sound effects to enhance the immersion of the storytelling, and some of those sound effects are loud noises. These include but are not limited to lightning strikes, gunshots, cannon fire, raised voices, crashing waves, sounds of combat, such as swordplay or fistfights, screams, screeches, and all manner of monster noises. I don't need to be the one to tell you that if you lose your hearing, you lose it for good, so be aware that the max volume is not always best. If we touch upon more explicit content, I will make every effort to warn you by telling you what we're touching upon and where to avoid it, and it will also be the first descriptor in the details of the article. I want you to be safe and well, and while you're here in the writer's room, I will make every effort to do so. My second announcement has to do with the length of these episodes. Normally, the articles that I tell are anywhere between an hour and an hour and 15 minutes max, with a few special articles that are two hours long. Because the Fate of the Thorn story is only 13 articles, the minimum time for an article is an hour and 45 minutes, with the longest being a little over two hours. So be prepared for longer stories. And finally, my last announcement has to do with our sponsors. Normally, you would hear that here, in the very introduction. However, since these articles are a bit lengthy, 
I've decided to move them to a mid-reel. So don't be alarmed if you hear the telltale sound of the transition into the writer's room around the halfway mark of the episode. Long-time listeners know my penchant for cliffhangers. Speaking of those who wish to support... Sorry, I did say that was the final announcement. This is actually the final announcement. Thank you so very much to our wonderful community in our Discord. I cannot thank you enough, and I know I speak for our cast members as well. The amount of love that you have shown us, and the hype, and just the general wholesome energy that you bring, we are so grateful for you. And a special shout out to all of our officers. Keith, V, Covington, Stuart, Tarkin, and Nightingale. As well as all of our Kofi crew. Thank you for helping us navigate the treacherous waters of podcasting. It's sometimes rough, but you seriously make a difference. Thank you. All right, I've rambled long enough, and you're still here, which means you're ready. So... Let me begin with a little preamble, and then we'll get right into it, I promise. You met the characters already in the previous article, and if you're anything like me, you've lost yourself completely in the cover illustration that our wonderful artist, Emery, has created for us. But fear not, friends. Instead of staring at your screen and hoping beyond hope that you could have it in your hands, you actually can. You can head on over to his print shop and buy one for yourself. And you can be sure that 100% of the proceeds will go directly towards Emery, because we support real art here at the Writer's Room. The link to his print shop is provided down below in the description of each of these articles. And keep a weather eye out on our socials. There may, in fact, be a few more illustrations yet. And without further ado, we follow the crew of the Thorn played by the lovely cast of the Storyteller Squad, as they patrol the waters of the Vatacene Gulf and Thea, taking down Atabayan Trading Company vessels. And if I were to sum up this story in themes, it is a high seas adventure with hack and slash, romance, fantasy, and a little bit of conspiracy. And our first article does have some content warnings. There are loud noises, such as lightning bolts, gunshots, cannon fire, and sounds of combat. Get comfy cozy, friends, because like all good stories, we're going to begin in media res. Tea is provided for you by Gregory, our lovely tea goblin. The stuffies are in the hammock over there in the corner. Feel free to grab one. There are plenty of seats, but I won't deny you if you decide to cuddle up on the rug in front of the hearth. Now, let us begin. The Writer's Room presents New Horizons The Fate of the Thorn Article 1 Hunters of the Thorn
we see a stormy sea, churning waves with white caps rolling over and over. We see the horizon line is covered in a dark veil, and we see just the halo of rain as it's coming down through lightning strikes that are jumping in between clouds. And we see a small sloop in between the waves, darting and bouncing. And then we see, just over the crest of one large wave, an ATC vessel battering against the storm, trying to make their way. As the camera is lifted up as though a wave has tossed it in the air, we see blazoned on the front of the ship her name, the Thorn. And then we zoom in on the deck. At the helm, we see a very distinguished and yet frazzled looking gentleman with black hair, rain-streaked face, but with a big smile. And he looks over to the captain and says, Full speed? Steady now, Mr. Alder. Bring us up on our stern within firing range. These ATC bastards are about to get stung. Aye, Captain. Natalie, please describe our good captain. Captain Angelica de la Sombra cuts an imposing silhouette. She has curly, dark brown hair. She has a dark feathered pendant. She sticks out behind one ear. Her captain's coat is dark grays and purples, but it's been modified quite a bit. The sleeves torn off. Lots of stitching and embroidery all over the back of it. It's lots of star signs and suns and moons. She has long gloved sleeves that are not attached to it, which have little throwing knives tucked into different folded bits of fabric on them. She stands beside Kieran, the helmsman. As the camera focuses through the rain on her face, we can see tattoos of thorned vines wrapping around her neck, and we catch a flash of amber in her hazel eyes as they stare forward with the focus and intensity of a hunter stalking her prey. And Angelica, as you make your final rounds, the camera is going to follow you for a bit until we break off to find... A day. Please describe Amboise for us. So Amboise is a athletically built man, dark, dark hair in essentially dreadlocks, although right now they're whipping around almost as if ropes that are just loose in the air. He is not quite clean shaven. There's still some stubble there that's growing back in and he's looking back and forth at everything that he can, trying to get a proper understanding of exactly what's going on. At this point, he also has his pocket watch out. Ah, yes. That's very crucial. You have very little time. The camera zooms in on the hands. There is a different hand that the camera zooms out from and it's a gauntlet. Durs! Please describe Diego for us and what Diego is doing right at this moment. Rain is falling and hitting Diego's silvered hair. His right hand is gauntleted and shielding his eyes against the storm's fury. Leather shoulder pads are the only clothing on his torso, exposing rows of black tallymark tattoos on his neck and ribs but that's nothing compared to the large red triskelion tattoo on his chest this symbol of the duelist academy challenges any who stand in his way he is with the rest of the marines getting prepared for the signal to jump aboard and begin cutting things up 
And who are your marines? You have four of them. The four Iglesias brothers. They are all biting at the bit. Paco has a knife in his mouth. El Tigre is kind of hanging back, holding his sword close, not yet unsheathed. Enrique is checking his hair in the flash of his cutlass as he lifts it up to his eyes, gives himself a wink. And Alejandro, the most nonchalant of the four, is leaning against the railing without a care in the world. They are ready and raring to go. They are just waiting for your order. Camera transitions, we see a vesting woman storming up one side of the deck towards Brittany. Where is Dala going? And please describe her for us. We like to affectionately refer to Dala as Big Lady. She's very tall. She's got big, big arms. She's the muscle of the crew. (laughs) She's got blonde hair that's in braids. Her clothing generally looks like it's made for colder weather, but she's made some adjustments. A lot of, like, things that definitely were a long sleeve thing that she ripped the sleeves off. She's got a a mix of tattoos that are from her homeland, some like more nautical tattoos from being on the sea, some that look like they are trying to look like they're from her homeland, but was clearly described to someone and it was done really poorly, but she loves them anyway. And she has two lines of mistletoe tattooed on either side of her neck. Her job during these kinds of things is hold things, move things be the muscle. She is probably heading to the crank. Her tool belt's jingling. She's got a bunch of stuff on her. You see a barrel that comes loose from its netting and it rolls across the deck and smashes into the side of the hull. And out pops Quinn, could you please describe Oliver for us? (laughs) So... (laughs) Oliver is a fancy little lad. He has blonde hair tied back into a fancy little ponytail, very nice clothes, and he has dreamed often of becoming a pirate, and now his dreams have come true, but unfortunately it was not exactly what he was thinking. Dala, a strapping proper gentleman just appeared out of what would have been one of the rum barrels, but there's no more rum in it. Do I know this fancy gentleman? Have I ever seen him before? I don't think so. This is a stowaway situation. I think Dala, while cranking with one hand, would just kind of reach out and grab this fancy lad kind of by the back of the collar, not super aggressively. Not lifting him up, but kind of just like, no, 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 you stay here. What's going on? I just imagine being like held up or the feet just barely touching. Miss Bronson, what is this? Dunno. I found him. Just step right up. You smell like one of our own barrels. Hello. How are you? What are you doing on my ship? I was hoping to be a pirate. Miss Bronson, Torres Torista in the brig. We'll deal with him once we are done with the ATC ship. Aye, Captain. Excuse me, I can be of service if you need me? You are drunk. I'm not drunk. Oliver says, talking to a piece of beam that resembles Angelica's (laughs) shape. (laughs) 
I know the cannons. I'm going down to the cannons. Dala's holding him just high enough above the deck that, like, he doesn't realize they're moving. She's just walking him towards the brig, and he's still talking. I'll call back to Dala as she walks away with our new captive. And Miss Bronson, when you are finished with that, assist Mr. Wesley. Aye, Captain. She just keeps on walking. Now, Oliver, you're placed in the brig. It's a typical brig, right? It's not comfy. There's no plush bed. There's no feather pillows. There's nothing. There's barely a bucket for you to do your business in. We just call it the brig. It's more spacious than the rum barrel. I have made a good decision. (laughs) And I am not upset by this at all. (laughs) And then Oliver vomits. And Dala has closed the door again at this point. Oliver's talking to himself. He can hear her walking away. (laughs) Quinn, thank you for joining us. This was happening in the room that houses the Thornlance, right? Yep, right below your lab. I think Mallory was taking a moment between the rocking of the waves to, like, open the little trap door and just, like, peek their head down to see what the fuck was going on. What is the look right now? Very tight line of the mouth. I know that, sigh. Fascinating. What is it? Coco, I'm going to need to cash in one of your standing offers. Right now? Uh, well, hold on one second. I've got to they rush over to, as, like, the things start to tilt in the other direction. What is it? What do you need? Um, uh, th- there's, um... Use your words, Mallory. There's someone on the ship. I think he's being thrown in the brig at the moment. Is he a threat? No, but... No, no... Then let's revisit this in the morning, shall we? Let's focus on surviving tonight. We transition away from that, among the waves and among the rain and among the chatter of an excited crew, we hear the distinct sound of glass tinking together. And as the camera pans over to a door that is just now opening, we see... Emery, please describe Mallory for us. Whipping across the copper-plated interior of the good doctor's lab is a scrawny, mousy figure, bare-chested and disheveled. Their sunburnt arms are smeared with both soot and ink, and their hands fly across the work table to brace the vials of bubbling liquid and glittering black powder. The only other notable markings on their body are a pair of twin scars framing the underside of the pectoral muscles on either side, along with a string of eye tattoos along their neck and ribs. Their expression is a little hard to discern, as their eyes are fully obscured by this curtain of ashy, light brown bangs. But despite their frantic movements, on the bottom half of their face leers this gleaming, manic smile. This is Dr. Mallory McCoy. And what rolls out beside Mallory is a small coconut. And on that coconut are tiny little nub horns, a large crustacean arm just kind of juxtaposed in there. And we see this coconut just kind of hit one of the walls and then roll back into the lab. However, we then hear a voice. Mallory, I would like to draw your attention to something, please. It's a little bit busy here, Koga, if you don't mind. I suppose you don't really need this shelf up top here, do you? Ugh. And Mallory braces their elbows against the table and sort of reaches out a foot to kind of 
hook their ankle around the coconut and just dexterously kind of flip them up onto one of the shelves nearby. The coconut lands on the shelf and what would have been a very large vial of some clear, slightly green, bubbling liquid about to fall off the shelf hits the coconut instead of... Keep that there for me, will you? If that falls, we're all in trouble. By your will, Mallory Mine. Although, if I roll out this door, there's really nothing I can do about it. As the camera pulls out of that as if it is a coconut itself rolling across the deck, it smashes up one of the stairs, launches itself up on top of the deck, and it is now flying overhead. And there are people moving, there are also people waiting. Everything is secure, everything is ready, and there's an energy to the ship. Everyone is waiting for the opportune moment, waiting to strike. And like the lightning above, there's a small countdown. We can only hear it in the heartbeats as the rain begins to dissolve, as the sea begins to dissolve, and we just hear the... And then lightning strikes. There is a huge lurch ahead, and everybody leaps into action because this small sloop has punctured a hole in the hull of this ATC ship timed perfectly right to sound just like the thunderstrike. Angelica looks at her watch. She waits, synced with Amboise as the lightning goes off. It is time to fire the cannonade at the front of the thorn and blow our entryway into the stern of this ATC ship. So our one forward facing cannon goes off. Over the din of that Angelica from the helm shouts down to her marines. Cazadores, board that ship and cut down anything that stands in your way. For Liliana! Enrique and Alejandro and El Tigre and Paco all together scream, Vamanos! And <laughs> run right behind Diego as it is now time for the action sequence, everyone. Oh my goodness. So we've set the narrative, we set the stage, and we're going to transition into the writer's room, kind of sit back a little bit, and set up exactly what your characters are going to be doing during this sequence. Now we're all in the writer's room. We all have comfortable chairs. We've got our tea. We've got our character sheets in front of us. I would like for all of you to now describe to me your approach to this action sequence. We are picking a skill and a trait that you are going to be using throughout the sequence to solve problems, to meet your own ends, to board this ship, whatever it is that you wish to do in this moment. Which would involve strategy, right? And planning? Yes, definitely the knowledge of tactics and planning and your mental capacity. Then I think Angelica's approach should be wits and warfare. Everything she does in this sequence is going to relate to this being the execution of her plan and strategy for hunting ATC ships, quote, safely. Wonderful. This is the first approach that we've had. However many ranks you have in wits grants you that many pool of dice. However many ranks you have in warfare grants you that many pool. And then because you've described to me exactly how you're using wits and warfare narratively in the situation, I am granting you one bonus die and then another bonus die 
because this is the first time you're using that trait and skill combo this session. That, for everyone here, is called two for flair. So take two bonus dice on top of whatever your grand pool is now. But do not roll until I say so. Anyone else? Yes. Diego is going to resort to the edge of his blade to defend a noble ideal. Oh, that sounds like the duelist background. Uh, Go ahead and take a hero point for that. It'll take it up to three, because as a company escapee, I start off a little bit more valiant with a little bit extra hero point. Yes, you have that bonus hero point for everybody. Since we're talking hero points, you all start with one, unless you have Valiant Spirit, which grants you two. And I, as the narrator, have one danger point for each player. So I have six danger points. And Diego is going to use his brawn trait and weaponry to fuck up any ATC member he sees. That sounds delightful. Take two for flair. Can Diego use his knowledge of Hogo de Dentro that he learned as a captive of the ATC as his glove has been sharpened to various points so it is extra sharp and prepared for short shanking maneuvers. I'll allow it. As fun as it would be to fight the ATC up on deck with everyone else, Mallory's first and foremost priority is making sure that the lab does not explode. So that to me sounds like finesse and athletics. Delightful. Love that. Take two for flair. Dala, do you have an approach for me? I'm leaning towards having her stay on our ship since one of her main duties is to be like the carpenter and the fixer. Keeping an eye on our ship and making sure everything's good over here. Perfect. That sounds like resolve. Also except finesse. And... Maybe notice, but also possibly scholarship. I purposely took points in scholarship because of it relates to like your education. Your mechanical knowledge, yes. I will accept scholarship. So wits and scholarship then. Take two for flair. A day. Right. What do you got? So this hasn't been planned out yet, so I'm going to see how it works. I imagine that Ambroise's other job when this type of stuff happens is... He will follow behind Diego and folks, making his way onto the ship, looking specifically for any people that try to get away. And he will make sure that no one leaves the ship, even if it means being on it while it's starting to take on water. That sounds like either resolve or finesse. I'm thinking resolve. What skill were you thinking? Either notice or weaponry. Notice to be able to find people and to see what's going on. Weaponry to deal with whatever interactions may happen. So if you want to have sword fights and swashbuckling goodness, weaponry is your choice. If you want to be more of a nuisance and see potential avenues and cause general chaos without being in the fray, that's a notice. The fact that you have to ask kind of worries me because of course it's going to be being a nuisance. Of course. So resolve and notice. I love it. Take two for flair. Now that we've done the approaches... All of you have a series of advantages that you've bought for character creation. I want you to peruse through those real quick and see if you can gain yourself any bonus dice. Dala, you're large. Take your bonus die 
for cranking the thing and doing all of that wonderful work that you do, our delightful big lady. For those of you who are on board the thorn, take a d10, set it aside, and put it as a 10. It is automatically a raise because you are doing a risk on your own ship. And the thorn grants you a bonus for that. Can I use large to put some extra weight behind everything that I'm going to do to these guys? You are large and in charge, Diego. I have handy, which is for fixing things. I believe that's spend a hero point to fix something, yes? Oh, yeah. So that's different. Yep, some of these will ask you for a hero point in order to perform a certain task. And that brings me delightfully into the next part of action sequences, which is consequences and opportunities. Consequences are problems on the scene that you can interact with. Opportunities are things that help your character or your group specifically interact with the problem. One of the biggest problems is the time sensitivity. If you're not on point and ready to release at a certain moment, it could cause some damage to your ship. You could accidentally leave some crew members behind. And so there is a consequence on the scene that at initiative two, the thorn will disengage from the ATC vessel. If you're trying to move at all on either ship, because none of you have sea legs yet, it's difficult terrain. You're going to have to spend one extra raise to perform any movement action to prevent yourself from falling off of either the ATC vessel or the thorn. Other consequences specifically for certain people, Mallory, there are some deadly reagents in here that, if mixed, could cause an explosion or worse. You're going to need to spend at least two raises to prevent those reagents from clashing. Diego, you're dealing with enemy ATC soldiers who might not be ready for you immediately, but they will be drawing swords the moment that they see you. So you're going to be facing down a brute squad of six, which are six just normal goons. They take one hit, one wound, and they're done. So essentially, that translates to if you want to take them all out, it will cost six raises to do so. If they are not taken out before the action sequence ends, they will deal their damage in wounds to you or your crew. So that would be six wounds coming at you. I don't have any consequences personally for Amboise or Dala at the moment, but that doesn't mean that it can't arise from the narrative. There is an opportunity. This ATC vessel is hauling something it shouldn't. Spend one raise to find out what that is. So those are the consequences and opportunities on the scene. That brings us to one of the final things of an action sequence, and that is hero point expenditures. So all of you have been granted one extra hero point, and if you wish, you can spend a hero point to help another character. You have to describe to me how your character is helping in that moment, whether it is in the actual moment, or perhaps a flashback to a recent scene talking about something. By doing so, you grant the person you're helping three extra dice to add to their pool. 
You can also spend one hero point on yourself to grant you one bonus die. If you see what I did there, it's more beneficial to help each other than it is yourself. So, would anybody like to spend hero points to help another character? Can we sell you some hero points in order to get more raises? I believe it's actually the opposite. You give me two raises and I give you a hero point. Okay. I had something I could maybe use to help ease that burden on my crew and let them keep most of the raises they rolled. I can be convinced. What do you got? So I wanted to try and activate commanding, which is my virtue. Oh. And you give a hero point to everyone else. And if they traded that in for two raises, it would help them move around the ship a little better because they're following my orders. Yes, I'll take it. Activate commanding. Everybody take an extra hero point. And if you want to cash that hero point in for two raises spent specifically to allay the tax, that's fine with me. You're welcome, everybody. I love that. I love my crew. I would like Diego to help Amboise because he is one of the non-Iglesias brothers heading over, and he does not have a super cool fighting style to rely upon. Love that. Amboise, take three extra dice. Anyone else? I was thinking about trying to help Mallory. We sometimes have similar goals, I guess. Well, let's put it this way. If something goes wrong in Mallory's lab, yeah, there's going to be a structural issue that Dala has to deal with. Yeah, I think she's aware of that. Love that. Mallory, add three extra dice to your pool. Anybody else? Could I use one of my backgrounds to get an extra hero point for myself that I could use? Absolutely. Which background are you using? Sorte Strega. Okay. Earn a hero point when you commit to a dangerous course of action that you believe is destiny. And what dangerous course of action is that? I'm sailing through a hurricane and then attacking an AC <laughs> ship and trying to escape without witnesses while stealing their cargo and eliminating every officer. On it's anyway. It's really the no witnesses part that pushes it over the edge. Okay, fair enough. Take your spicy hero point. Cool. I believe it is now time to roll the bones. So as they are doing that, listeners. The way how 7C works is they have gathered their pool of dice. This is D10s they are using. They are counting in sets of 10 and making raises from that. So every time they count to 10, whether it is a 5 or a 5, a 7 and a 3, an 8 and a 2, makes 10. That means one raise. Now they can go higher than 10. So let's say you have an 8 and a 4. That makes 12. That still counts as a raise, even though it is higher than 10. Some of my players are using physical dice. Others are using the Drama Dice app, which will be linked in my bio for all of you 7th C diehards out there. And those raises are their action economy for the action sequence. It's not whether you can do a thing, it's how you do a thing. As long as you have a single raise, you can do whatever it is you wish, according to your approach. Anything outside of your approach costs one extra. How do re-rolls work? Is that a thing that we have to specifically get? If you have rank three in the skill that you're using, you get a re-roll. Okay, cool. At what point can you stop adding dice together to not have a remainder? When you can't add to 10 anymore. One of mine is adding up to 11. Why is that not a one remainder? 
Because it's from the dice they went together. It's only the extra dice left over. That's correct, Brittany. Once you hit 10, stop adding dice. With that, what's everybody's raise count? What do we got? So Angelica has five raises and no traders. Dala got three raises and one trader. The good news, three raises. The bad news, one trader. Diego has six raises and no traitors. It's a nail-biting two raises and four traitor dice for Mallory McCoy. Whoa! Hold on! Hey, I got the two raises needed to keep the ship from exploding. That's all you need! And you have two extra bonus raises for movement, so you're fine. It's fine! Now, there's a fun little thing in 7C that I can do. If you have extra dice that are left over that do not equal 10 or have no pairing, those are called traitors. And I, as the narrator, can buy those from my players in exchange for a hero point. And I get a danger point. This is the only way for me to gain danger points other than beginning a damn session. So I'm going to buy Dala's trader. So Dala, take a hero point. I'm going to buy Amboise's trader. Amboise, take a hero point. And I'm going to buy all Four oh of God. Mallory's traders. Wow. Look at all this sorcery I can do now. Hey, yo, it's fine. Squad up. Let's do this. <laughs> I now have the most danger points I've ever had in any of my sessions of my four-year-long gaming career. I have 12 danger points. So much power. <laughs> Unlimited power. Well... You're welcome. Yes, thank you. This was a mistake, y'all. We shouldn't have attacked this ship. (laughs) Why didn't we start with family dinner scene? (laughs) Hey, imagine a game night with 12 danger points. We don't talk about game nights. (laughs) Delightful. All right. We've got our approaches. We've got our raises. We are ready to dive back into the narrative. Now, with an action sequence, we start with the highest initiative. The highest initiative currently right now is Diego. So let's transition back, settle into our characters. Are you all ready? I'm getting a thumbs up and some concerned looks. Let's go. Diego, you mount the railing and climb aboard this ATC vessel. We're being boarded! takes out his cutlass and six others around him instantly head for you. What do you do? He's going to apply his gauntlet. Apply directly to the forehead. You know me. Yes. The guy turns to call out we're being boarded. And then when he turns back around, it's immediately into the gauntlet as he flies back and knocks someone overboard. Ah! and spending a hero point and a raise to deal a number of wounds equal to the raises spent plus his highest trait, rendering this man a ragdoll on the ground. Another ATC soldier is quickly up behind him, but he too has his weapon blocked aside by the metal hand and gets a few punches of his own. A few ATC members get ready to flank Diego on his left side, thinking that his non-dominant arm will be his downfall. But it is theirs, as Diego spends another raise to do a slash maneuver. We're doing another three wounds to the soldiers coming up on his side. 
the camera kind of zooms into Diego's face and into his eyes, and then all of a sudden we hear the acoustic guitar. A song begins to play in Diego's head. Normally, the wet deck of the ship would be a problem, but when your goal is to slip and slide around, it's pretty nice. I will not charge you the tax because it's actually in your favor right now. Diego does flips and bowls over people and knocks them over and sweeps their feet. So that was two raises spent, yes? Yes. Perfect. That brings you to four. The four Iglesias brothers are right behind you. They have four raises, one for each of them. Marines need to make sure they can get back on board and not get into any trouble. Paco and El Tigre are at the railing, making sure that your escape route is clear, while Enrique and Alejandro are at your back. Let's spend the next one on the opportunity. Let's see what it is, because I'm going to need to get it. As you are breakdancing and salsaing across this deck, you quickly find where the stairs lead down to below deck, and you head down there with Alejandro and Enrique. And we transition over to Angelica. What are we doing? What's going on? Angelica climbs out from below decks, scans the other deck of the enemy ship. What does she see? Other than the general chaos of what just happened when Diego made landfall on their deck and the random bodies strewn about that are just carelessly listing back and forth, you do see the helmsmen trying desperately to free themselves from whatever they are stuck to. And a man, dressed in a blue coat, wearing a wig, steps out from beneath and starts shouting orders to free them as quickly as possible. He grabs random sailors, picks them up to their feet, and shoves them back to their post. This is the captain of that vessel. She will climb up the shrouds to get to the fighting top where she knows Saya will be. Tied to the main mast and standing on a wooden platform that acts as a hunter's perch is a woman as sharp as the arrows she fletches. Her olive skin glistens with the rain as she lets one fly into the swarm of bluecoats below. Without moving her head, her hand reaches down to a quiver at her hip, and she readies another sharp feather. She pauses as Angelica comes up beside her and takes this moment to tuck a stray strand of dark brown hair back underneath her paisley bandana. She adjusts the black lace bejeweled collar around her neck and gives you a wicked smile. The plan is working, Misiello. The plan has only just begun, Mirasamudra. When my brothers are finished, we'll feed what is left of their ship to the storm. Storm does look hungry. I'm going to have a few words with our captain, but I could use some cover. Keep your eyes on me. Saya takes this opportunity to not only lean with the ship as it is moving, but get closer to you. Gives you a quick peck on the cheek and says, Oh, you can be sure I'll be watching you, darling. I'll be back again soon, mi amor. Don't keep me waiting, my love. When have I ever? <laughs> Go. Clip their wings for me. And I would like to, if I can, use the foremast halyard to run over and then leap into their rigging and use that to slide down and attack the captain. I'm going to say it was going to cost you one extra raise to do that cool spar jump, bringing you down to three. Angelica runs across the spar and leaps. A lightning bolt strikes dramatically, <laughs> illuminating her form. She lands 
she stands up with that lightning backlighting her, facing this captain. Pray to whatever gods you worship, Coyon. I hope they are ready to receive you. I'll send you sea devils back where you belong. And he draws his saber. The camera swings overhead as if attached to one of the booms, and it launches itself off, hits the deck, and rolls downstairs, where we find Diego. You eventually make it down to the third deck, where you know that they are keeping something they shouldn't. There's not a lot of able-bodied seamen here, but there is in one corner, way, way off at the other end of the ship, a figure chained to the wall. If you were to take a wild guess on the age of this person, you would be accurate anywhere between 12 and 16. And the most distinguishing feature about them is their pale blue eyes. They reflect like frozen moons down here in the bilge, and when they stare at you, it is though they have a haunted look. And along with their eyes, their skin is the color of alabaster, their hair nearly bleached white, the color of driftwood. They are dressed in an archaic robe reminiscent of possibly a Newman toga tied with a purple sash. And the other thing you notice, Diego, is that they are chained by their wrists to the wall, their hands hanging above them. They look up at you as you approach, and they don't seem surprised, but they do seem a little scared. And despite the crashing waves against the bulkhead, you can hear them clearly when they speak to you. Hello. Who are you? I am Diego. I'm going to get you out of here. How? Do those chains look like they could resist the punch or slash of one of Diego's weapons? They would not survive a well-aimed punch right at the main manacle there holding them up. As the manacles fall, they start to slide slowly down to the ground. Oh, this sounds like a good time to use Diego's large feature to haul this little one over his shoulder. Welcome aboard. Diego will motion that they need to get out ASAP. Enrique is watching the stairs. Who is this little one? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Let us go. Bueno. Alejandro! They grab whatever crates they can, anything else in this hidden area down here. Diego, you are down to three raises, yes? Yes. And I was wondering, as a member of the escapees, I think this counts as foiling the ATC's plans and operations. Oh, definitely. Take that sweet, sweet hero point. I'm going to spend, let's just say, five danger points. Get them! We have company! Stop them! Five more crew members come running down the steps towards you. Dala and Amboise, we have not seen hide nor hair of you. Which of you would like to take the initiative here? So she's definitely working on trying to release our ship so we'll be able to retreat as soon as we need to. Hey, Dala, as you're down there, you've got the cranks and you're now hacking away with Wesley. Natalie, could you describe Wesley for us just really quick? Give us three little descriptors. Wesley is an orange-haired Inishman with a neat and tight beard, and he's generally cheerful despite our grim mission. 
Wesley looks at Dala as he is hacking away at the beams that are in the way of the thorns. Dala, I don't think we can hold on much longer. Nah, keep going. We've got this. I do you have the time? I can't look at my watch right now. What's the time? We're fine. It hasn't slowed down. Just keeping the exact same pace. Just working. I'm going to spend two danger points. Help! There's a piece of wood stuck in between the mechanism that is supposed to move that is stopping it from moving. Dala, describe to us how you solved this problem. She's going to very calmly pull off a large hammer from her belt, one of the claw end hammers, and just kind of use it like a crowbar and just start like chunking apart this piece of wood and just ripping it apart to get it out. As soon as it's out, the mechanism goes and latches in. I did spend a hero point to use handy to fix that. Yep, you did not need to spend a raise. You just fixed it. It's all good. I got it now, Dala. I heard something real scary over there. She will clip the hammer back onto her tool belt, and I'm going to check on the scary noise. I think Wesley's got this for at least a little bit longer on his own. Mallory! Hello. What kind of barrels do you have in your room? Wouldn't you like to know, weather boy? (laughs) (laughs) I would say maybe 50% of them would explode in some way if set alight. Wonderful. Dala, the big scary noise was a barrel of gunpowder that was in Mallory's room. It is now out rolling around on the deck and a lantern has fallen from the ceiling and has a tiny little open flame. That barrel is rolling extremely fast towards that tiny flame and it's leaking. Of course it's leaving a trail of gunpowder. Of course it is. Now it is storming out, right? I keep this ship very tight. Thank you very much. I'm sorry, Dala. I didn't mean to insult. (laughs) Dala is going to take like a running leap for the lantern and try to scoop it up out of the way. Just like full on diving across the floor. (laughs) Braids flapping behind her. It does that zoom pause of Dala looking inside of the lab, thumbs up, and keeps diving. Actually, I think it's more of a shrug. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, We'll see how this goes. Nonchalant, like, hey, keep a better handle on those, why don't you? Dala, spend a raise, and you land, scoop up the shattered lantern, wiping out all of the oil so that the flame is no longer where the barrel just rolled over. And it continues carelessly and with reckless abandon down the other end of the ship. (laughs) We'll deal with that later. Bring us to Amboise. Yes? What do you got going on? Which one of the brothers was at the entrance to the other ship? Paco and El Tigre. Okay. He starts making his way towards the other ship. He stops by Paco. He still has the knife in his mouth. Hands him his pocket watch. He takes it. Monsieur, keep track of the time, s'il vous plaît. Sure, senor. Of course I will. And El Tigre, the quiet of the brothers, the one who is silent and only really speaks when it's profound, just gives you a quick nod. And boards the ship. Did I have to spend any raises to get there? You did have to spend the movement raises, yes. So I have one raise left. All right. As you're boarding the ship, I believe it is around the time where your good captain, Angelica, has done her majestic heroic leap. There are still able crew members running around frantically, which leaves you free reign of the ship for now because there's no one standing in your way and the aft castle is only just a few jaunty steps to your left where you know the captain's quarters are 
So he's probably going to first try to see if he can find any unlocked chests or any unlocked drawers on desks looking for paperwork that has either ship's ledgers, various pieces of correspondence. If he can find some maps, he'll grab them just because it's always nice to have an updated map. And you know ATC pays top dollar for their maps? They even use the good paper. Oh, they do use the good paper, and it's a shame. You don't need to spend a raise to find these normal, common items. So what of uncommon or rare occurrence is in the captain's quarters that Amboise would want to make sure goes with the thorn? I'm trying to think of what would happen here that isn't stuff that I know, but stuff that he would know. We do have an interesting person that's been found who would surely be in some record of things in that area. Yet he doesn't know about that person. Okay. Should we bring it to the writer's room and have all of us mind meld a little bit? Perhaps. Let's step into the writer's room real quick. What is sitting on the top of the bookshelf? That is a good question. I don't have the answer. This is the captain's quarters. Mm -hmm. He would keep trophies and items of particular value to him and probably have them on display. Oh, of course. If there's a rarity or oddity, it's something that this captain either took because they knew it had value or took because it meant a lot for them to acquire it. It could be something grim. It could be something mundane. It could be something personal of one of the characters. What if it's the belonging of another well-known pirate? Like a piece of jewelry or cool weapon just like wrapped in that ship's flag. Or even the flag itself. Or a famous hat. Oh shit, maybe a map. Stolen treasure map. Love a good map. Still got fresh blood stains on it. Por que no los dos? <laughs> Diego, do you remember what the pirate flag looked like? None of the Iglesias brothers would ever forget such a flag. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yes! As Amboise takes it down and unfurls it, what do we see? In a horizontal line there are three skulls and each one is on fire spicy christ now amboise do you know of this pirate ship honestly the brothers never stop talking about it <laughs> that is very very true not only does diego not shut up about it when it is mentioned Alejandro and El Tigre even detail the skulls and the fire, the motion of the flames, and the color within in such specific detail that even if you closed your eyes and felt the embroidery on this flag, you would know what it is. And wrapped up inside the flag is a map. Magnifique. That is going to fit very nicely. Rolls it up, gently rolls up the flag as well, makes sure it's nice and tight, and continues on his way. I'm spending one, two, three, four, five danger points. Look. There is a huge lurch of the ship that knocks everybody on the thorn and on the ATC vessel on their ass. Amboise, you go sliding into a bookshelf, a bunch of maps and other small books kind of fall off, and the desk, which is not bolted to the floor as it should be, begins to slide towards you, 
and we cut away from that scene. <laughs> Mallory, there was a huge lurch that knocked you on your ass and has tilted every shelf to about 45 degrees. Oh, this is not my favorite angle for shelves. Coco lands next to you, the charcoal eyes, just kind of staring up at the shelves as these reagents are about to fall off. This is a ship. There are certainly some nets around here. I am going to grab one discarded on the ground and fling one end across the bedpost on the other side and pull the other tight so there is now a suspended net that will catch anything falling from the shelves before it hits the ground. Fantastic. Spend two raises and that consequence specifically for you is allayed. We watch as these reagents fall precariously off the shelf and land neatly in this very tight knit net. Coco rolls over and the coconut looks over at you as the charcoal eyes just kind of stare off in a direction and we hear... That's my bed, you know. You now have some very well-shaken explosive bedfellows. Well, now that you've caught them, what do you plan to do with them? I have somewhere I can toss them. Looks at the hole they blasted in the enemy ship. Oh, I adore where your mind is at. I want Gabriella Cade to call from where she is manning the carronade. Isadora. Our cannons have names. Of course they do. They got it clock is ticking. If everyone's got this, like, watch or this timepiece they're going on, like, she knows that her job is to fire below the waterline on the enemy ship at a certain point to ensure that it does get taken by the storm. Yes. Give me three descriptors. A brash and foul-mouthed Highlander made of iron, grit, and salt water. She is thrill-seeking and stalwart. Camera transitions to this fiery red-headed woman wearing a tartan and a sash holding the fuse stick for the cannon with a pocket watch hanging in front of her face, just watching it. She hears the clattering of glass from Mallory's lab. Matchstick, how you doing down there? Delightful, thank you. I have something for you to throw at the enemy ship. Several somethings, and they're hot. Mallory gets up off their ass, takes the whole net, I guess, slings it over their shoulder and some of the contents inside are already starting to bubble a bit in a couple of them and they as quickly as they can muster dash up to Gabrielle place this net of glass bottles beside them very gently huck these wherever you see fit oh I, I've got a perfect spot for those she also puts her leg out so that Mallory doesn't go sliding down the other side of the deck <laughs> and she hoists them up gently leans her body out gingerly. The camera is in the net and we watch as it lands onto the deck of the ship, clatters, rolls, a couple of reagents kind of spill out and a bunch of crew members are like, huh? And then there is now a sizable hole on the deck. Mallory, that's all your raises, correct? That's all my raises. The camera is sliding across the floor. It hits a little piece of wood. Dala, you're a big lady. You don't get knocked on your ass frequently. But here you are, sliding along the floor, making it to where that barrel of gunpowder is just haphazardly rolling around. And Wesley... (laughs) You're right. I'm all right. Are you all right? I'm good. I'm spending my last danger points. Oh, we gotta get back up there, though. Oh, the water's coming in. The water's coming in. The water's coming in. Look, a dollar-sized hand hole where water is coming in. How many raises will it cost to 
patch up that hole. I do have one hero point. Fantastic. If you want to use it, you can. Sure. Why not? You stand up and pick Wesley up. And as the ship lurches forward, you use that momentum to run headlong towards the leak and plant your hand. Well, that'll do it. Hold on. One second. I'd like to be able to spend races to try and get us maybe not back on track, but not any later than we've expected. So if we were supposed to leave at initiative two and it went to one, I want to spend races to keep us at one and not go to zero. So at initiative one, the thorn will release. So you have until then to get back on the damn ship. Dala, how many races you got left after that? If it was one to close up the hole. And let's say two to movement. So then I have one left. The camera rolls across the deck over to where the captain and Angelica are about to have their fight. What do we see? What are you doing? She does not have a sword on her. She has knives between her knuckles. So fucking cool. I want one of the moments where she dodges and he slashes at her for him to cut through the line that sends the colors of this ATC vessel up so that he accidentally strikes his own colors. Okay. One raise for that. She maybe catches him in the cheek or something as he makes another attack at her. But I'd like to use one of her throwing knives to trap his sword arm into the railing of the ship. I think that'll cost two raises to pin him. She just gets up to him and calmly puts her hand on his wrist and gets right in his face. I'm not going anywhere, Magador. You killed my sister-in-law and you're going to die for it. Have fun at the bottom of the waves. I'll let the devil know to inspect you! Is that what he says to her? That is exactly what he says to her as she's walking away! Tell him hello for me. (laughs) So good! Girl! Yes! And I would like to then seek out Amboise. Oh, wonderful! You notice that the captain's door is flailing on its hinge and you watch the boot of Amboise slide across the opening and then the heavy-ass desk can't hear anything in there because there's so much bedlam going on, but you can assume uh, maybe F. <laughs> oh boy, we're doing things, Zoe. Oh, we're doing things? We're doing pirate things? Come on. No, we're doing fucking wizard shit. The wizard shit! Give it to me. I would like to tug on his fate thread to get him out of the way of that desk and get him to me because he is my escape route and his. This is my wizard. This is my grand master of sorcery. I will not let him be crushed. Delightful. Take the camera for us, Natalie, and show us what the world looks like when you are pulling fate strings. Suddenly there are these gossamer threads, a latticework of them all through the deck. The rigging of a ship is already a complex intersection of many, many different little ropes and lines, and it triples, quadruples, so many of these threads and she sees the one attached to Amboise, reaches out with one of her gloved hands and yanks on it to get him out of the way and pull him directly to her. Amboise, this desk is hurtling towards you and it's a heavy oak shit. It is solid wood. It is careening at a accelerated pace towards you and all of a sudden you feel at your back and at your hip and at your shoulder this Tug, this forceful yank. You are ripped out of the way of this desk. It goes crashing into the wall, tumbling over itself, and you crash through the window. 
Bonjour, Janson. Cutting it a bit close, eh, viejo? Not that close at all. Let's get the hell off this ship, eh? Mm, that'd be nice. Diego, you've got three raises. There are five dudes running down the stairs headlong at you. You've got Alejandro, you've got Enrique, and you've got this little bean you're holding in your shoulder. Give me the scene. What do you do? I see the two brothers behind me. They go to put down the boxes that they're carrying. And you just see Diego shake his head. And he brings the figure on his shoulder as if they were going to hold on to his neck and hang on behind him. But they're malnourished, so probably not going to have the strength to really hold on. But the chains are still around the hands. So he's going to tie the chains, a quick, loose knot around his neck so they can't get separated and also freeing up both of his hands. These men have something to say to me. I will give them my iron reply. <laughs> yes! Yes! Vámonos, primo! <laughs> Delicious. So I'm going to spend a single raise to use this advanced riposte maneuver. And that's going to do my ranks in resolve, which is two, and my ranks in weaponry, which is three. In the blink of an eye, take out these dudes one by one. And he's going to use his panzer hand technique so they bring out their rapiers and he's able to deflect multiple ones aside and just slash through them and then get an extra punch in there with the backhand. We watch as the camera does a slow-mo thing with the gauntlet coming in. It makes connection with the cheek and we watch some bone, some teeth come out, some blood. And then it like speeds up again as you take out these dudes. There's a brief image of a flash of lightning that makes its way down into this underbelly of this ATC ship. And before the flash, there were five dudes ready to go. And after the flash, they are all on the floor, strung about like marionettes without their strings. Alejandro and Enrique look at you, nod their heads, and go, Vamanos! <laughs> You head upstairs. You've got two raises left. You know that you need to be off the ship by one. Does that mean I can... I still have a raise to do something? I, you still have a raise to do something, if you really wish. Uh, my only raise would be something to help the other people also get off the boat. Uh, let's see. It's just Angelica and Amboise, right? And your marines, but they're fine. They'll be safe. I mean, we're one raise short of actually using Amboise's thing. Can you trade raises amongst players? Can I use the hero point to give him some more raises? You can exchange one of your raises and give it to Amboise. Well then, Merry Christmas. This nine and three are for you. <laughs> <laughs> and at initiative one, we hear the telltale sound. What is that sound? So what if the timing is more of a thing for the crew as like a challenge for us to see how quickly we could do this? One of Amboise's main things is being the best at what he does. And he wants the people that he's with to be the best at what they do. So if they can't meet that timer, shame on them. This is just a quartermaster imposed limit. Yes, and it's not a pocket watch that tells the time. It's a stopwatch. Oh, so what this is, is after many drills, 
like other ships would drill their cannon firing and reloading procedure, the thorn has drilled this particular maneuver. When the time is up, everybody's stopwatches go off with different sounds from different places, and they all go off together from, like, across the ship. It is a beautiful cacophony. Zoom in, actually, on Gabrielle's pocket watch, which, as we're focusing in, it's not a clock face. It is a countdown. Gabrielle smiles wide and says, Good night, you fuckers! The camera follows the embers. The embers ignite the gunpowder. The gunpowder explodes. Here we go. Diego, show me how you and your marines get off the ship. Enrique is running across the deck of the ship. A box stacked on top of another box in his arms, running across in the topmost box, is about to fall off towards the side when a metal bloodied gauntlet stabs into its side and holds it aloft. And Alejandro, running up on the left side, has a barrel on top of his box, and it's going to fall over as well when a large broadsword slaps against the top, keeping it from falling as Alejandro, Enrique, and Diego run across the deck of the ATC ship to jump across the gap to make it back to the Thorn. Toss your cargo, there are nets waiting for you, and as you land, Dala, cannon has just gone off, you gave yourself five extra seconds, and Wesley goes, now! And you release from the ATC vessel, you drift away, still holding your hand against that hole, a day and Natalie, let's wrap this up. What do we see? She probably looks over the railing to see her Marines climbing back into the thorn with Diego carrying a strange person on his back and a bunch of cargo. And she just again looks to her quartermaster. That's bad. I think we could get the time better. Mia, toujours Mia. And she will close her eyes and just take his hand. And as she does that, he will actually pickpocket one of her knives, cut his own hand, make sure that the blade is coated with his blood, close his own eyes, and then make a stab into the air in front of them, and slowly pull down. The blade of the knife vanishes into thin air, and then a hole appears, and the world screams. Blood splatters as Amboise opens the hole so that both Angelica and he can step in. We can hear whispers on the other side. The camera does not dare enter or even look in the direction of the opening, but we see Amboise's fingers curl around the edge of it and close it behind him. And a little while later... In the underbelly of the thorn. A day, what do we see? As we shift below decks, illuminated only by the lightning of the storm, we are confronted with a looming, exceptionally out-of-place structure. We zoom in on a thick mahogany church door, possibly a cathedral door. It's rounded to a point at the top with a brass handle, though maybe it's a golden knob. It seems to shift as the light flashes. It is sanguine in both definitions of the term and the camera proceeds until only the knob can be seen, and the slight glimmer of light on it begins to shift as it slowly starts to jiggle. And as the camera zooms up from the spooky door beneath, we rise above to see Kieran standing at the helm. 
We like zoom in on Kieran's face and they're pretty chill, pretty calm most of the time. They're looking around the deck and we see the small little flames of panic start to brighten in their eyes as they do not see their beloved Angelica and they look up at Saya and Saya just shrugs. <laughs> Anyone seen Angelica? Diego? She was right behind me. There is someone behind you, someone I don't know. Uh, where, where, where is she? Where, please tell me where she is. Anyone? She's fine. She took the back door. He kind of holds on really tightly to the helm and leans back. Okay. Angelica emerges from below deck and climbs up to the helm. Kiran, darling, you worry too much. And she will cup his cheek and give her husband a passionate celebratory kiss. And as she does this, she takes the helm from him and then turns to address the crew as she brings the ship about. Casadores, we are going home. There's a huge uproar of voices as all the extras are like, yeah, let's go home, we did it. Oh, great. This rain is doing awful things to my hair. Have no fear, friends. I know that was an epic start, but it's not over yet. We've just hit the first mid-reel. Welcome. Empty what you gotta empty. Refill what you gotta refill. Take a break, decompress, whatever it is you need to do. That was a lot. (laughs) While you're here, I can talk about our sponsors. As I stated in the beginning, the writer's room is endorsed by Chaosium Inc., And if you head over to Chaosium's website and make any purchases, if you use the code, all caps, WRITERSROOM10, no apostrophe on the S, you'll get 10% off your purchase. Our second sponsor is 10 Quills Dice. Seven C's Dice System is exclusively D10. So if you're looking to get into 7C and need a set of dice, head on over to 10 Quills. There are special theme sets, as well as custom options. So go take a look. I happen to be the owner and artisan, so let me help you narrate the game in your life. And our last sponsor is The Crafty Gamer. Over the spring, we did a collaboration where we released three exclusive candles, and it went so well that we sold out within a few days. Now I can't guarantee that we'll be doing it again anytime soon, but keep an eye out on our Ko-fi page, and maybe we'll strike up some pre-orders. In the meantime, you can always go to The Crafty Gamer and use the code WRITERSROOM, again, all capitals, no apostrophe on the S, for 10% off, and 20% of the commission goes directly to us, so you'll be supporting us directly, and getting a handcrafted soy candle. My favorite is Small Library. Smells almost like the writer's room. Almost. And speaking of Kofi, pre-orders are up for Bone Dice. I make them, they look like old bones, and it's a set of D10s. And that way, you can roll the bones with us. You cannot purchase these at 10 Quills Dice, by the way. These are exclusive to the writer's room, and 100% of that goes back into the podcast. And while you're there, maybe check out a membership tier. We've got a little something for everybody. And if you can't support us in that way, a like, a share, and even a five-star rating or a review helps immensely. 
And that's all I have. Let's get back into it, shall we? As we transition back, the seas are calmer. Much calmer. I'd say there's still some grayish kind of clouds, heavy with a little bit of rain, but lighter. The storm you've left behind. I'd say it's probably, give it a good hour from your initial attack. It is just barely sprinkling, not really raining anymore. Diego, take the camera for a little bit. Show us what's going down. Okay, little one. We need to get those cuffs off you. You won't need them on board this ship. We'll see if uh, Dala or the doctor can get them off. So they can't even lift them. They're so weak and malnourished that even helping them to stand up seems that the only reason they were standing at all is because of the position that they were in. They kind of lean a little heavily against you, trying to gain their balance on this new, much smaller easily rocked ship with waves and every once in a while they lean heavily into you kind of like clutching onto your arm and they look up at you with those deep vast ice blue eyes and say very quietly yes they're very heavy you look hungry let us get you some chorizo Paco get some of the uh, salted stuff see and he, he pitters off to the galley where do you bring this bean towards Dala or Dr. McCoy, whichever he sees first, both of them are good with their hands. Who do we see first? Dala is fixing the hole that she had been covering with her hand. She's patching it up finally to make it permanent. She asked Wesley to go to her quarters and go through her stash of random bits of stuff for fixing. And she explained to him exactly the piece she was thinking of that would be the perfect size. And he had to go get that exact one. And then they had to do a little switch off of, all right, when I pull my hand away, you have to slam this down. Yeah, all right, okay. I guess you just want me to hold it then, huh? Yep. Okay. And she just very methodically starts attaching it to the ship, patching the giant hole. I just need to come out of game just for a minute. I'm a woodworker by trade, and the fact that Dala has a chipmunk stash of wood bits <laughs> is delightful to me. And also the... The ADHD thing of, like, to anyone else, it looks like a pile of garbage, but she knows exactly what's in that pile and where to find it, because it's organized to her. <laughs> it's going to be useful eventually, oh, I yeah. promise. She doesn't throw anything <laughs> away on this No, ship. no, no, absolutely There's not. other stuff in that wood pile too. There's, like, miscellaneous building materials. A hand of a figurehead for some reason. <laughs> Diego comes up to you with a young person. In very heavy shackles. Follow me. And she'll lead them to, I guess, her quarters? You have a workstation on the lower decks. That also operates as the sickbay. Yes, <laughs> it is both. Describe your quarters a little bit. Give us a couple quick little quirks that we would see, other than the wood pile that we now know is established and has to be there. Even though this workspace isn't her quarters where she stays, she's decorated it a little bit. Since she's taken on the role of the doctor of the ship, I think she's tried to make it a little more comfortable for anyone who does have to come visit her here. So a little bit of bedside manner going on. She's tried to make it more friendly. <laughs> when you take small piece of fabric and knot them together to make like a chain of them, and she's got those hanging up around, 
you can tell it's a combination workshop and sick bay. There's a lot of carpentry tools around. There's not a lot of medical supplies. It's pretty sparse. Every time you walk in, you play the game of, is this hammer for ships or is this hammer for bodies? Is this a wood saw or a bone saw? (laughs) Sometimes it's both. But she does take very good care of her tools. They may be a little bit scattered around, but they're all meticulously taken care of. There's nothing rusty. There's nothing falling apart. Love it. No, Paco, I asked you to get it because you have a knife. You would cut it into tinier pieces. You don't want her to choke. Listen, Hermano, I didn't realize that you wanted me to grab the whole chorizo. I will go cut it up small. How small? Really small. Look how small she is. (sighs) She's muy pequeño. All right, tiny pieces, tiny pieces. And not the lot. Take my share. I don't care brother it's not about your share it's the fact that she's malnourished we don't want to make her sick see okay get some too. and he goes off back to the galley grumbling all the way alejandro's head here's around the corner enrique's head right below that and el tigre's head right below that as they lean in and they look at you they motion very quickly with their hands and with their heads mouthing very loudly can we talk to you for a moment this way outside yeah yeah Diego, Enrique grabs you. Estás bien? Not even a scratch. Hermano, I'm not talking about that. All three of them lean over to look at the little girl, smile very nicely, and then lean back in, very serious face. Are you sure you're good, mi hermano? Yes, I am fine. Why wouldn't I be fine? Now, you don't have any agua for this poor little one? What are you doing? And then Paco comes over with a small hot bowl of broth and a small nub of bread and a water skin. That is how you get extra rum rations. Good work, Paco. Gracias, hermano. Niña Nevada, I have broth for you. As Paco walks in, El Tigre clears his throat. <clears throat> We're worried about your mental health after saving a child. Thank you for your concern, but I am fine. And he spins around. You can see he didn't get a scratch on him during all that. He's covered in other people's blood, not his own. El Tigre's got his arms folded and he's looking at you very seriously and Alejandro is like really looking like in the crevices. He lifts up your arm. All right. I don't see anything. Just like the rest of us. He's fine. I told you. Paco, we have work to do. Dala, thank you very much for taking care of the little niña. You need anything, you just let us know, all right? Could you get the doctor for me? Diego, I'll let you do that. Perfect. I'll let them open the crates. They really enjoy that, seeing what's inside. It's Christmas. Christmas. (laughs) Yes. So you head over to Mallory's quarters. Oh, jeez. Ow, my head. Mallory, how do you work down here? Ah, Diego, thank goodness you're here. Could you get Dala for me? And you can see that Mallory is, like, struggling to put all the shelves back up on the wall. Actually, I was coming to get you. We need some help with the manacles. Oh, on the child? They looked pretty sturdy, but I thought Dala could surely take a hammer to him, give him a little whack or something. If you want something with a bit more kick to it, I have a bit of acid lying around. Could be pretty corrosive. Give Dala the little leg up she needs if she's having trouble. It seemed like Dala could use some assistance. Here, I'll, I'll hold that shelf up for you. Thank you. They let Diego hold the shelf up and just leave him there. They take a little <laughs> vial of something that didn't break and make their way to Dala's. Diego, there's a coconut sitting on that shelf, placed to turn and look directly at you with its charcoal eyes and its big crab arm. Keep Coco safe for me while I'm gone, thank you. Of course. Hurry along there, Doctor. I fear if I stare too long, he may crack me with his gaze. He's not that strong. Oh, well, yeah, sure. Well, you crack him open with yours and we'll see who wins. 
That's not how I operate and you know it. Diego, you did just hear Mallory mutter half a conversation for a second there, to no one in particular. Coco will be safe with me, and so will your shelf. Mallory, you walk in and you see this small person, these gigantic forearm-like manacles on them. And the other thing that you see is that their hands are silver. Interesting point, Dala is feeding them soup since they can't lift their arms. Oh, oh Dala! <laughs> just very gently spooning it to them. Dala! <laughs> oh. <laughs> she pauses as the child is speaking to Mallory, though. She's being very polite about it, but she has to feed this kid. <laughs> she looks over at you with these haunted eyes. Well, hello there. Hello. Who are you? Who are you? Dala, this is fascinating. I think you might want to check out the manacles. They're a little more complex than I thought. Oh, they're just manacles. How complex can they... Oh. They're heavy, Mallory. Mallory is also having trouble lifting them. Dalla will put the soup down and kind of lift it up. All right. So, we've got a couple of options here. I've got a corrosion agent that could make this metal a lot weaker if Dalla wants to just take a little hammer and chisel to it. Or... Dala, please. Can I try to pick the lock? Only if you're completely confident in your abilities. Well, of course I am, are you? Yes. Alright. And Mallory takes a pair of sort of bent needle-like pieces of metal and takes a good look with a candle, tries to hold it over the lock hole or wherever they can see inside and try to get, with their eagle eyes, a better look at the mechanisms inside. Your eagle eyes reveal to you the malice in the mechanism. Not only is this thing to prevent the wearer from escaping comfortably, as you peer in and you see those needle tip points, all of those needle tip points are in fact syringes. They are hollow on the inside. There's something that gets injected once the mechanism is unlocked incorrectly. Is there any evidence so far that this child has been injected before by these needles, or have the needles been poised this whole time? The needles have been poised this whole time. They have not been stuck yet. All right, we've got uh, several hundred spring-activated mechanisms that will all go off at once if something is even slightly displaced. I do love a challenge. And they're going to try to figure out how to disengage it. That sounds like risk. It sure does. How are you approaching this conundrum? Mallory is going to take an educated guess based on if they had constructed these manacles, where they would put which spring mechanisms, and where they would put a trigger to activate those and try to see if it lines up with whatever little bit they can see through the keyhole. Step one, make sure those syringes do not get activated. Then we can go to unlocking the actual manacles. So that sounds like either wits or finesse, I'll even accept finesse, and scholarship. Let's do wits and scholarship. That sounds like a lot of dice for me. Also take two for flair because you described to me what you're doing. Gather any other bonus dice you may have. Eagle Eyes definitely grants you a bonus die here. Yes, absolutely. You have Coco on your side. 
could do something there. I won't tell the audience what it is. I'll let that be up to you. But you can enlist Coco's help here. Sure. Just give a little, like, muttered under their breath. Coco, care to check my work? Every time. Meanwhile, Coco is down looking at Diego. Oh, is that right? (laughs) Was holding the shelf, and he realized, I'm going to be stuck down here all day if I'm holding the shelf. (laughs) But the only thing he can see to wedge the shelf up was across the room. So he's holding the shelf up with his broadsword while he's hunched down and over and like reaching his arm across to grab a nail underneath the workbench on the other side of the room so that he can just nail the shelf up. So that's what Coco is seeing. And he's just like, do not judge me, little one. (laughs) That's so good. Thank you. Mallory, I would describe to you what I'm looking at right now, but I can't decide if it's vaudeville or slapstick comedy. (laughs) Hold that thought. I need you to be seeing what I'm seeing, if you don't mind. By your will. All right, I'm rolling a total of 11 bones. Mm-hmm. Dala, would you like to help Mallory in this? I would love to. You are holding the manacles up because I cannot lift them. That is true. You scrawny little thing. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Take three extra dice, Mallory. Out of curiosity, do I know how many raises I need to disengage this lock, or is that a fun secret thing? So, whenever we do risks, it's always been in my head that it takes one raise to do the thing. Mm. And then there are consequences and opportunities that can add tax to that or allay that tax. So because this is a complex mechanism, and because there is an untold danger lurking. There are two sequences in which you have to unlock this. The first is to trigger that spring-loaded mechanism to nullify the needles, make them inoperable. So even if you do mess up, they're not going to activate. And then the secondary is actually unlocking them. Excellent. Because of the danger and because the unknown in what is actually in these needles, I'd say it's about two raises to stop the mechanism from piercing them. And then I'd say another two to actually release them. Wonderful. I think with 14 dice, we should be able to get that pretty good. You should get that. I'd say jinxing it. There is an opportunity here, it's another two raises if you find it, to not only keep the mechanism intact, but also not break the lock so that these can be used again. Ooh, I would like to study the mechanism or keep some of the poison or whatever's in there, mm-hmm. right? That, mm-hmm. Save a little bit of that for later fun snack. It's going to be a total of five raises to successfully undo the thing, and then another two raises on top of that to keep the mechanism and the manacle intact. Gotcha. Fantastic. I suppose, just to be thorough, do I keep all the hero points that I got from earlier? Yes. I'm going to spend two of those to add two more dice to this pool. Okay. And with that, 16 dice, we're going to go. We're going to roll those bones. Roll them bones. They've been rolled. Let's... All right, this might take a second. (laughs) Judging off of your maniac laughter, Emery, I'd say that's a good thing. Seven raises, (gasps) baby. Fantastic. That's the shit. Hell yeah. With one trader dice, if you you want that one. Oh, yes, I would, actually. You can take that right away. Thanks. It's all yours. 
take that one danger point that I have. And with that, Emery, please show us how Mallory solves this puzzle. All right. Step one, disengage the spring mechanism. So through the keyhole, I can see where a notable spring would be. And it's a matter of placing one bit of metal underneath it to keep it in tension while I remove the button that it would snap back and and hit if it were set off. And instead of breaking it or removing it entirely, we just sort of set it to the side and slowly let the spring come down next to it. So it releases tension without actually hitting the little hairpin trigger that it was going to. That can be reset at any point. And then unlocking the actual device. I don't know a lot about lock picking, unfortunately. Mallory, as you're looking at this complex series of pins and hesitating a little bit, you hear Coco's voice delicately in your head. All right, this is fairly simple. There's only four pins. However, the second pin is the one we need to set first. So, slide the pick in with the barest amount of pressure. You should feel some resistance, but wiggle it just a bit, and then... Yes, there it is. Now, the third and the first pin in succession. And then we hear, and the seam all along the forearm opens, and they land heavily in Dala's hands. The child is free from the manacles. Great, now I just have to do all of that again. You did it perfectly the first time. Second time should be a breeze. You're jinxing it, Coco. Now, the child is still holding their hands and arms as if they are weighted down by something heavy. Dala, as you put the manacles aside and go to pick up their wrists, their hands are a lot heavier than they look. And you touch their skin and they are metal cold. They are made of malleable silver. Dala, could you permit me to take, like, one fingernail clipping? Absolutely not. It's a fingernail. They don't need it. Do you? I don't know. Do I? Most people don't, unless yours are special. She looks at Dala. Dala kind of shakes her head a little bit of just, like, no, don't worry. Should we get the captain for this? I think so. One of you Iglesias brothers, go get her for me. I'm not leaving. Angelica, where are you right now? She might be in her quarters, actually, preparing to, like, address the officers. I think she has a little journal or maybe even, like, a large sheet of paper. And she's got a little ink bottle out. And her finger traces down to a particular name of a ship. And all the names on this list are names of various ATC ships that she knows are sailing in these waters. And she dips her quill in the ink and draws one line. There's a rapid knock on your door, a musical knock, if you would. Come in, Mr. Iglesias. <laughs> all of the Iglesias brothers have a musical knock. You don't know who it is until they open the door, but all no, of them No, I have do music- know because they each oh, knock do. a different stanza of a song. <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh, I love it. She knows! Paco opens the door and peeks his head in. Buenas noches, Capitana. If you wouldn't mind, there's something that you need to see. Something about what we took off that ship? Si, la niña. She closes the logbook where she's been writing down, like, engaged enemy vessel at such and such bells, took so many pounds of cargo, and then was, like, probably writing, stow away and 
rescued captive? Question mark. Mm-hmm. So she'll stride out onto the deck and then follow Paco down below decks to Dalla's workstation. Amboise, where are you right now? He went to go and look at the crates as the brothers are going to, but then they just disappeared. So he's just standing by the crates going, huh. <laughs> oh, so he's the only one as quartermaster looking over what we hauled in. Yep. Love it. There's really nothing of significant note in here. For some reason, there's beetle carcasses. They're all bejeweled colors. And you know specifically that they crush these up and grind them to make really pretty inks or dyes. And so these are valuable, but not necessarily illegal. And there's a couple of other items, really fine silk, some jasmine rice as opposed to normal white or brown rice. Commodities that aren't really local. Any spices? Sure, there's some turmeric, some star anise, maybe even some cinnamon sticks. Angelic will probably come upon Amboise before they get to the workstation, so she just gives a cursory glance. Sire will be pleased. Paco hands you a lime. Thank you, primo. And she bites into it, rind and all. (laughs) (laughs) You know I get hungry after we go hunting. He bites into a lemon. (laughs) Hell yes, it's a family trait. (laughs) It's a family trait. (laughs) We'll figure out what other citrus fruits the rest of the brothers eat. (laughs) Incredible. Paco looks at Amboise as he's making the sour face because he just ate half a lemon. Oh, that was a very sour lemon. Amboise, you might want to go see what uh, this little one has for us. Sure. Why not? You pass Mallory's lab on the way to Dalla's quarters and you see Diego in this awkward broadsword up, reaching just barely with his fingertips. Mr. Wesley. Yeah, what do you need? Oh, what he got there, Diego? And he scampers over and crawls on his arms and grabs the little nail. But you're looking for this? Uh, yes, thank you. I needed it for this shelf. Here you go. Diego doesn't need the hammer. He just sort of wedges it in between his fingers and just punches it in. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> that's great. The shelf is fixed. It's fine now. Okay, let's see what the hubbub is about. Wall we'll head into Dalla's quarters. This child looks at you, Mallory, and looks down at their hands. Is there something wrong? Well, there could be, but there could also be something very right. How long have your hands been like that? Since forever. You were born with metal hands? I don't remember. I suppose I don't remember being born either. Is this a good thing? Well, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a bit of a disability for you, since you can't lift them. Can you feel anything? If I... And they slide on a pair of thin, like, lambskin gloves and start poking at the kid's hands. Can you feel that? When you touch their skin, you're expecting metal. It feels like flesh. You can feel the bones. You can feel the veins. Mallory, you can even feel the musculature. That's fucking weird. Where are you from? I don't remember. Do you remember how you got on the ship you were on? Some men took me out of my bed. Did they say anything? I don't remember. Did they say anything about... Well, maybe we should wait for the captain to get here. What's a captain? Oh, a captain is a, um... Steady there, doctor. I see the silver hands, I see this young person, the icy blue eyes. 
I'd like to use Reed. Oh, okay. Reed is a special Tessere. All Strega learn using Reed requires no hero points or lashes and has only a single effect. Once she uses it, she can see all the strands and arcana for the rest of the scene. All right. So all of you are in the quarters. I want you to give me a brief description of what your fate threads look like to Angelica. And then we'll see what the little child's looks like. Diego, let's start with you. Can you give me an example of how one would describe a fate thread? I could describe Angelica's. Yes, do that. Angelica's thread is silver, like a lot of the embroidery in her coat. And there are small, fine points all along it. Her thread extends from her chest, but it wraps around her and down her arms and in a way that it almost seems like a defensive ward around her. But you could also say it looks ready to constrict itself around her. At the end of her thread, which settles just above her heart near where it starts from, it shifts from the bright silver to black. And this darker section appears to include a few small leaves and an unopened flower bud. Then Diego's is in the shape of rope where you've got to sort of wind the little pieces together and it is yellow, orange, and red and sort of reminiscent of fire. Love it. Dala? Her thread switches between different primary colors. I immediately pictured that she's got little wispy threads that come out and kind of connect to each member of the crew. And then she's got one strong one that just leads away real far. Love that. Amboise. So his looks at first like a piece of twine, but it is heavily saturated in blood. Oh, (laughs) fuck. All throughout to the point that you think it's just on the cusp of dripping off of it. And it just seems to stop at one point. Ooh, interesting. Like, is there still tension and it stops? There's still tension and it stops. That's interesting as fuck. (laughs) Mallory? Mallory's threads are just these electric blue bits of lightning shooting off and connecting to other things in the room or collecting to other people's fate threads. Like the threads coming off of a plasma ball or lightning strikes coming off of a Tesla coil, glancing off in different directions, seemingly without any particular direction or motivation. And Zoe, if you have anything else to add to Mallory. I will tack on every once in a while. The lightning has struck something and burned it, leaving this tendril of smoke. And inside the smoke are stars? Glitter? We're not sure. But it does sparkle just faintly. So quick. It's a lightning strike. So it's boom. And then smoke. And then gone. Angelica, as you're looking around the room and you're seeing all the fate threads, you've seen your crew's fate threads before. You know that Diego's is very, very intricately tied up in the Iglesias brothers, even though he is not an Iglesias by blood. There is a tendril that leads off somewhere in the ocean that is tense and vibrating. You still don't know what that means, but it's out there. As you look at Dala, there's that one that leads out to the sea and you know that leads to her family. For Amboise, it's always a mystery where that thread stops. 
watching Mallory's and the strange smoke. You've never really seen that before. Mallory has a few threads cast out in the direction of Avalon. One of them is cast towards some figure in the brig. Interesting. Given this description, does Angelica have a thread out to sea as well? Yes. Anybody who has uh, ties outside of the thorn that are significant has a thread tied out to sea. Oh, that means I have two going just up deck. Aw, that's cute. Probably a dark one and a, and a warm amber one as well. And the child. I'm spending a danger point. When you look at the child, you know what happens when you get struck in the head so suddenly? It's just that quick hit. You don't actually register the impact, but your sight gets blinded for a moment. And then all of a sudden it registers as a headache and it encompasses from the front of your forehead all the way to the back, leading down into the base of the spine and shooting back up in between the eyes like a bolt of lightning that strikes you. You cannot see anything around them. They are a void. There are no threads from them. Dala is holding their silver hands, and you can see Dala's threads physically recoiling from the child. Mallory's threads, they were chaotic and just striking everywhere. They're not going anywhere near this child, and there's actually a veil of that shadowy, wispy star-like protecting the lightning strikes just faintly. Amboise's strings are like living snakes, and they are testing. They're coming close. They get too close, and they recoil back a little bit, but it's not like a, ooh, we shouldn't do that. It's, hmm, all right, let's try this, and sneak in a little bit more, and then recoil back. Diego's strings are acting like a wrap, almost like weaving into maybe like a basket or a blanket or something to cradle them, but can't touch. What are my strings doing? Yeah, your strings are vibrating. Mm -hmm. I did spend a danger point, so you're going to have to take a dramatic wound here. The more that you're staring at this, the harder it's getting to look. You're starting to get the spots in your eyes. You're, you're starting to feel slightly faint. Is this a familiar type of wound that she's taking? I believe you've gotten this wound when you tried to read another Fate Witch that was much more powerful than you. Okay, good to know. We'll say that you've, you know, worked alongside this Fate Witch after a while, and so you know what this is, but it's definitely strange. You've never not seen threads from a person. Mm-hmm. Here's maybe a question. And here's maybe an answer. In Angelica's years at sea and just having seen a lot of the world, do monsters have threads, like sea monsters? Because she's definitely seen those. Do animals have threads? Yes, everything has threads. Okay. Most everything. Will let go of the reed. Mm hmm. Because she can feel like blood trickling out of like her nose and maybe the corner of one eye. Dala, you see that. Have I seen that before? You have seen it before. She grabs a little clean rag off of the first aid supplies and kind of sheepishly passes it to the captain. Angelica will take it without taking her regular gaze off the child and dabs at her face. And then we'll hand it back. Miss Bronson, doctor, step away. Are you sure? I... That's an order. 
Fine. Doctor steps away. Surely this little one is not a threat. Primo. She holds a hand up, and she will approach this being. Anyone watching Angelica sees her hand twitching a little bit, but she will soften her voice, come out of captain mode. Hello. Who are you, little one? They called me Tia. Who called you this? The man with the wig and the blue coat. Where did they take you from? My bed. Do you know where you used to live? No. Do you have family? Yes. Mother. You are safe here. They are my crew. And she gestures back at the officers. Finish your soup, and then we will send you to bed. Am I in trouble? Her hand twitches again, almost towards this little person, as if she was like maybe going to do something, but she resists, and she says, No, you are safe aboard the Thorn, as long as I am captain. Miss Bronson, please see to our guest. And Angelica will go to leave her to it. Mallory. Zoe. Could you remind me and our listeners of your backgrounds, please? My backgrounds are as follows. I am, one, an engineer. I earn a hero point whenever I use my technological savvy to solve a problem. Take a hero point for unlocking the manacles earlier, please. Thank you. And, secondly, I am a scholar. I earn a hero point when I put myself in harm's way in pursuit of knowledge. Okay. Could you also remind us of your hubris, please? Oh, it's so funny you mentioned that, Zoe. My hubris is curious. It is the fool's hubris in the Arcana. It means that I receive a hero point when I investigate something unusual, especially if it looks dangerous. I would like to hold up this imaginary hero point. Would you like to activate that hubris? Oh, you know I would. You know I absolutely would. Take this delicious, spicy hero point. Mallory, you hear in your head. Dr. McCoy, I sense a bit of tension. Might I take a look? Yes, look as much as you want. Tell me what you see. I've been waiting for your input on the matter. They open their eyes. Coco swears in a language you don't have a tongue to speak with, and you feel their eyes shut. Theus, what was that? Mallory, get back. And Mallory steps away. Coco seemed very tense. Mallory is going to take a step out of the room so they have somewhere where they can have a conversation without people hearing them talk to themselves. <laughs> well, what was that? That's not a person. Anyone can see there's something wrong with them, but that seems a little dramatic, don't you think? Permit me to be monosyllabic for a moment. That thing is not from here. Well, neither are you, but you don't see me giving you a wide berth. Listen very carefully, dreamer mine. That is not of this way. If you would step back into the lab, I can... Are you sure the captain shouldn't know about this? Dr. McCoy, I will not ask you again. All right. Mallory takes one last peek through the door. With their, like, regular gaze, I guess. Does anything else look off about this child other than the stuff we've already covered? It's really difficult to tell because you have the bangs covering your eyes. But they make direct, pointed eye contact 
with you and then with Coco and then back to you. I'll be right there. And Mallory turns on a fucking dime and leaves. Diego's been hanging at the doorway, knowing he has responsibilities on the ship, trying to find an excuse to stay. Dalla, do you need me to get anything for the little one? We'll need a place for her to sleep. Could you arrange something? Yes. There's a captain of the Marines room. I can rearrange some of the storage stuff there. No problem. Amboise? Yeah. When you look at this child, you feel a familiar bond. And as they look up at you, their forlorn, haunted eyes look at you sadly. Hello. Who are you? Amboise. M? Um? Um? Boaz. Boaz. Close enough. I'm Tia. It is a pleasure to meet you. I like all the red you're wearing. While most of it is on purpose, I must say that a good portion of it is most likely just stains at this point. We should get you some colors. I like purple. Well, you are in luck. Uh, We just so happen to come across quite a good amount of cargo with the makings of some proper dyes. Perhaps we can make some things for you as well. Your hand. Hmm? She looks at your hand where you cut yourself. And there are so many cuts on that hand. Mm Mm-hmm. She looks down at her hands, looks over at yours, and looks down at hers, and you see a couple of the fingers twitching, almost trying to reach over towards your hand. He's going to move his hands towards theirs. Do you place your hand in theirs? Given they're having difficulty moving it, he puts his under theirs. When you do, you feel as though your wound has been touched with ice and a slight tingling of mint. And when you remove your hand, you have a faint, thin silver line instead of a wound. A day. You can erase that dramatic wound that Amboise took earlier. Try and remember, what kind of paint would they have at that time frame? Hmm. It's mercury. Oh, that's fine. Nobody knows it's a bad thing yet. It's great. Uh, thank you for the paint job? He's going to start rubbing his hand, trying to see if he can, like, get it to come off. It looked like it hurt. Honestly, I've done this so many times that, well, I barely feel a thing. It always hurts, doesn't it? He gives the child a concerned look and then turns to Dala. You as well. If you do not eat anything or get some sleep, I will stack plates of food outside of your room until they reach the upper decks. Don't forget, je sais, au tout d'or. We all know where each other sleep. It's a very small ship. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Ah, joke's on you. You only think you do. So where would Amboise find Diego right now? In the room that was originally intended to be the captain of the Marines room, but has since been relegated to a storage room since Diego hammocks up with the rest of the Marines. So he's converting the boxes, getting a few to be the same height so that it's bed-shaped and getting cushions and blankets set up. So while he is in the process of doing that, Amboise is going to walk on it. Diego, uh, do you have a moment? Uh, yes, of course. What can I do for you? Let me start by saying you are probably going to want to be sitting down for this, and we may or 
may not want to have your brothers present. Um, I'm not quite certain how this will go. Well, it is pretty hard to stand up in here, so I can sit down. First things first, how are you feeling? I'm feeling fine. I did not take a scratch in that battle. You know that is not what I mean. How are you feeling? I feel fine. He puts a hand up to his forehead like he's trying to take his own temperature. (laughs) (laughs) Do I look that bad? It is not what I can see that I am worried about, but regardless, I was going to bring this up at the meeting, and I will still bring it up at the meeting at some point, but you probably should see this first. He is going to take out the scroll case and slowly and carefully take out the map. So while I was on the ship, I found a few things. He is then going to take out the rolled up and folded flag and place it on Diego's lap. Diego immediately stands up and smacks his head on the ceiling. Oof. And there goes any chance that Dala had of getting any sleep tonight. Where did you get this? You said this was on the boat we were just on. We. Oui. Where did you see this? Was this in the captain's quarters? We. Oui. Now, if you'll be so kind, I'm going to take this back from you. He's like shaking a bit. Y- yes, of course. You've got to get that to the captain immediately. I am going to trust you to tell your brothers whatever you deem fit. You can see Diego is recovering from the shock of what is this? Is this real? Is this happening? Yes. He's starting to smile. Yes, I, I will tell them. This is this is news. Thank you. I know this part goes without saying, but please, I beseech you, tell them with care. Of course. Then I shall leave you to it. As we kind of pan away from Diego, pan past Dala as they're escorting Tia, showing them around the ship. Dala has made a sling for Tia's arms to hang in so that they're not just dangling loose at her sides. I like that a lot. Every once in a while, she'll ask a question. She'll motion with her head, her chin over at one of the cannons. What is that? That's one of our cannons. What does it do? It shoots cannonballs. What's a cannonball? It's like a ball of metal and it shoots out really fast to damage the other ships. We use it to protect ourselves most of the time. Is this what made the big noise? Probably, yeah. What about that? And she looks up at the railing where the lance is. I don't know if Dala would know how to explain this to a child. I think she feels a little uncomfortable being the one to talk to this kid. This is how we murder people. (laughs) (laughs) She's not great with children. I think she's kind of conflicted of like, oh, the captain said this is really dangerous, but also it's a little kid. So I still don't want to scare them and be like, you know, we're pirates. So she's trying to really water down what everything is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the tour was mostly meant to be like, and this is where I sleep if you need anything and like get her bearings in the ship. She's asking a lot of questions. Dala does not know how to answer. A lot of questions. And as you pass the red door... Dala continues walking as though the child is next to them, but the camera kind of lingers a little bit as Tia turns and stares at the red door and walks slowly towards it. And their hand is twitching again as if to reach the door handle. Dala's gonna pull the kid back a bit. 
because Dala doesn't know the details of this door, but she knows at the very least nobody touches it. People come out of it. Only Amboise goes inside. Dala doesn't ask questions. I think this is a gesture she's very used to, of kind of grabbing people by the back of the collar. Of just like, oh no, that's not for you. What a pretty door. Yeah, it is. We can't go in there, though. And she's just going to kind of shuffle the kid back towards where Diego's setting up the room. Not forcing her to go, but like, all right, we're moving along. She's very hesitant. Her head is kind of just like transfixed, her eyes on that doorknob. Can't you feel its pain? All done with that now, thanks. Just shuffling a little faster down the hall. I just imagine there's a knock on Diego's door, and then Dala like peers out her head and she definitely gives Diego a look. What? Good night. Good night. Diego, you're left with this small child. Okay. Well, the room is yours. Don't think you have to worry about opening up any of the boxes where the dangerous stuff are because of your hands. So should be pretty safe. Call out if you need anything. I am Diego. Any of the Iglesias brothers or anyone on the ship will take good care of you. Do you need anything? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Tia softly shakes her head no and walks over to the bed. How tall is the bed up off the floor? It is on boxes, so I do imagine it's like three feet off the ground. Okay. This child is only maybe four foot eight, and her arms are in slings, so lifts up her foot a little bit to try to like maybe gauge if they could jump it. I've got some smaller boxes. Let me stack some up for you. We'll get you little steps. She waits patiently. He layers some smaller boxes, so it's uh, step-ups. She eventually gets up there and sits and faces you as you're kind of on your knees, eye level with her, and she stares you directly in the eyes, Diego. You're going to be okay. I am more than okay. We've got to get you to be okay, too. Yes. Everything will be okay. So, this is gonna be dumb. This is dumb as fuck. There is absolutely no way that there is a stuffed animal on this pirate ship. And there is also no way that Diego could craft any sort of decent stuffed animal. But what he could craft is a potato. (laughs) Just wrapping a fluff in a little bundle single thread stabbing all the way through to tie it off (laughs) draw some eyes on it are they like coco's eyes where they're just like dead staring or are they like soft eyes yeah he does the half eye crescent circles oh that's good man's got style there's i'm gonna need you to take a hero point please that's fucking delightful Tia just tilts her head curiously as a dog would, looking at something new and unique. And their eyes look up at you and then look at the potato and then look up at you questioningly. It is for good luck. Good luck? Yes, you never know when you need something soft to lie your head upon. The ship will rock around a lot, so if you don't have extra cushion for your head, you could bump it. And he sort of like feels back to his head that he smacked real good earlier. Oh, there's a big fucking goose egg. Their fingers twitch to hold it. You're going to have to put it in their sling. <laughs> we are going to get you some protein and on the workout regimen, you'll be lifting those hands above your head in no time. 
Diego's been wearing his leather gloves because we haven't been in the fight encounter in some time, but he does take out the gauntlet and slide it back on his hand. When I was your age, I was not able to lift something like this. You'll get muscle, don't worry. She looks down at her hands and looks at your gauntlet. Good luck. Yes. Their arms kind of lift up and their fingers curl a little bit to hold it, and they lean over and lay down and then lay flat on their back, and their eyes don't close, but you hear the faint, soft breathing of sleep. Classic. He's going to blow the lantern out as he leaves and close the door. We're going to check in with Mallory. Hey, Dala. Nice work out there today. Would you hold this for me? Mallory has passed off a small package to Dala. It is a simple wooden comb wrapped in a piece of parchment, and the parchment has scrawled across it. For every strand of hair you get me, I'll give you an ounce of my rum ration. Don't tell, Captain. P.S. She absolutely approved this idea. You don't need to clear it with her. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) That is not the first time that has been put on a note from Mallory to Dala. (laughs) But it's never stopped you, Dala. I think Dala's going to kind of look at it skeptically, look at Mallory and go, I don't want to go near that kid again. Fine. Sounds like Diego's getting my rum ration. No, no, no. Dala doesn't give it back. She's hanging on to the little comb in the note. No, no. I've got more than one comb. There's a lot of hair up here, you know. I'll do my best. You little schemers. <laughs> <laughs> you head back into your quarters after that interaction with Dala, and you don't shut the door. The door shuts behind you. We focus in on the coconut, and we see the charcoal face and the arm and the silly little horns. But when the door closes, it becomes cast in shadow, And we see those wispy tendrils of smoke and stars leak out. And we can't really get a good look. Something is sitting in that corner. And you feel more than you hear Coco's voice in this moment. I apologize for my rudeness earlier, but you needed to stay away from that thing. In fact... It would behoove you to stay as far away as possible. Well, it's a small ship. Do you want me jumping into the ocean? Abandoning me for Ruby, are you? I see how it is. There's a faint glitter of pearls as a smile shines out of the darkness. Don't be absurd. Mallory bends down to take the coconut off the floor and set it back up on the bed. They glance at the half-obscured figure every so often. I take it you're not going to tell me why I need to stay away from it? I'm not at liberty to discuss that with you. Why don't you tell me more about that stowaway? Right. Shit. The professor. I need to cash in our deal. Fix his memories for me, and Coco, I promise I will not go within 30 feet of that child. Doctor, I'm all for the tending of knowledge, but this task is not without consequence. Let me see who we're dealing with first. Oh, there's no need. Surely you can just go there. (laughs) How delightful. I know him. More specifically, I know who he is to you. It's hard to see with their face mostly obscured, but there's a tinge of red blush creeping out from underneath the fringe of bangs over their eyes. Oh, hush you. You're making it sound like a scandal. He was just my professor. 
They bury their face in their hands, not looking at the figure. Just a very smart, handsome professor who moved a couple of things around for me, and that's it. All right, no need to get upset. I can relieve him of his knowledge of you, though it may break the man. You were his best student, after all. That's no good. I I don't want you to hurt him or anything. I'm afraid there's going to be some damage done. It's not just removing a memory. It's redacting the experience tied to it. Emotions grow into the memory and, like the roots of a tree, are often always deeper than you think. I see. Perhaps only take the name, then. I suppose I could cast a mental fog over it. Fine, fine. I can handle him remembering me in bustles and petticoats and whatnot, but I just... I'd just like a chance to reintroduce myself to him. By your will, Mallory mine. Mallory, you feel a faint, slightly chilled touch at your chin, making you lift your head out of your embarrassment and you see a gout of smoke strewn with the cosmos over a gentle, disembodied smile. Stay six feet away from it, and come the morning, he will have forgotten your name. Thank you, Starling. All of the wispy tendrils of smoke disperse back into the coconut, and we just see Coco again. Just that same blank, charcoal expression on their face. Angelica, you head over to your captain's quarters where you know Saya is. Angelica comes into her quarters. She closes the door and leans against it. The hand that was twitching when she was in front of Tia, she holds it to her chest. I would like to remove the lash on me right now. How does that look? To the casual observer, it just looks like she grits her teeth and shakes a little to another fate, which they would see the fate thread that was wrapped around Angelica's arm constrict and suddenly rip away. Ah, devil's breath. And then she will walk over to an area where she has some simple wound dressing equipment and quickly take off the long glove that she wears. And there are slashes that have been left by the fate thread as the price paid for bending destiny to her will. Absolutely. Saya hears that and comes out of frame to sit in the little stool that is there and begins to dress your wounds. Yeah, she sighs and rests her head in her other hand while extending the arm with the cuts to be bandaged by her wife. Well, we did it. Everything went according to your plan, darling. Why do you look so upset? Is something I saw in our hall just now? Someone? The fancy fellow. Shit, I forgot about him. (laughs) I would not worry too much, sweetheart. He is taking a long rum nap from what Mr. Westley tells me. Aye, fine. We'll deal with that problem tomorrow. No, the girl Diego saved. Honestly, I don't even know if she's a girl. I don't even know if she's a person. What do you mean by that? She doesn't have any threads, Saya. All right. Anything else? And no one else's threads would go near her. And avoiding fate. Hmm. No one is to go near her alone. I highly doubt that order will be obeyed, Angelica. It is human nature to help those in need. And she is just a child. I just don't trust it. 
What are those ATC bastards getting into now? Something way over their heads, I'm sure. As always. Do you think I brought the devil on board? Saya's eyes briefly lift up from her work to lock into yours, and they glint with an almost pure gold. I would know if you brought a devil on board this ship. It's my job to keep you all safe. I can't be much of a captain if I start losing people to strange voids, mi amor. This is true, but it is also the duty of a captain to take care of themselves, so that the rest of us can follow your orders. <laughs> I'm fine. This is nothing. It wasn't even that bad this time. Don't dismiss me like one of your officers. Saya's finger touches underneath your chin, and she lifts your eyes up so that she can look in them. You are not fine. And this is not nothing. Now, Saya makes a motion as if she is putting on an imaginary hat. I will go tell Kieran to man the helm for a little longer, while you focus on resting. That's an order. I... I'll check on you in a little while, Mira Samudra. Her fingers wrap gently around your chin, bring you in for a tender kiss. See me, cielo. And her fingers delicately brush away from you as she takes on the role of captain and goes to tell her helmsman to keep steady. Angelica will go and just sit out on her gallery, which is the little balcony off the back of the captain's quarters, which on her ship is set up like a garden. So there's small citrus trees, little terraced tomato plants and things just to get some fresh greenery in our diets. As the camera swings around to face Angelica, it remains stationary as the ship continues to move forward. As the thorn grows smaller and smaller, the moon comes out from behind a smear of clouds and illuminates the ocean. The camera rises into the sky and we get a bird's eye view of the small thorn sailing through the ocean back to familiar waters. And as our view dissolves, as though a smear of clouds comes in front of the lens, we fade to black. Well, friends, they certainly have a mystery on their hands, don't they? We hope you enjoyed this first article. And we hope even more to see you back here next week. That's right. All 13 of these articles are going to be on a weekly schedule. But until then, remember that nothing is as it seems. And be safe and well.